So today I ended up having to run a reconnaissance mission. I was sent to a place called Galilee, the Galilee facility. And uh, what they do is they build rockets. So it's a, a company much like um, SpaceX. But uh, they do it for uh, secret and top secret type stuff and everything. And uh, what they do is they launch spy satellites. So a lot of companies for the private industry actually leverage them. And um, I kind of like uh, ended up running reconnaissance on it today. I wanted to check out some of the things that was going on over there. And um, yeah, I just uh, ended up going throughout the facility and checking it out. So two devices that, uh, that come in handy for checking out facilities like this are two varying different types of drones. So one of them is a um, more or less it's a jumping robot. It's about, uh, it's about probably no more than a foot and a half wide. It's pretty fast. It can get up to about uh, 30, 30 miles per hour. Eh, on a good day. I mean, it's got the speed boost and everything with it, and it can actually jump pretty high. So it's about a a ten a ten foot jump. So in meters, that's about three three and a half meters. And uh, this little two wheel device has a camera on it, and it actually has two modes on it. So one of the modes is um, the ability to be able to see visually, you know. So it's got a real time visual sensor, so you can actually use a heads up display or a virtual reality display and see. Through, through three different perspectives. One is disassociated, um, the other one's uh, associated, but uh, the external cam, and the, the third one's uh, first-person perspective. And you can actually see through the first-person perspective to go and, um, you know, more or less uh, do, uh, do everything that you want to through that perspective. Now, th that's the primary viewing mode, and it's just basically, it's a uh, more or less the human range of vision and everything. And the uh, secondary viewing on the thing is to, basically it's got a, um, an extended identify friends or foe um, operations on it. So not only can it identify anything that's an, an identified threat, be it an individual, a vehicle, um, an aircraft, anything like that. Um, it'll automatically target and paint that target red, but it'll also identify hacking targets. So, um, it's whether or not that's a camera or it's a um, cell phone or it's a television or it's it, you name it, it'll actually identify these things with the little um, designators to actually make it really easy to lock on and more or less hack that device almost immediately and be able to get a get a feed from that device. Now, this comes in handy and uh, it's got full, you know, full maneuverability. So what happens is while you're, let's say you've got this device and you know, this little, it's a remote control device and the range on the remote control device, um, I've got a cheaper one and the cheaper one is, oh, maybe <laughs> I mean, realistically, $1,500. So the more expensive ones that the military use, um, they range in the neighborhood of, I mean, 
they start off at $10,000 and they go up from there. Um, Sixty to $100,000 for these tiny little devices and everything. They've got all kinds of different kinds. Um, and intelligence agencies, you wouldn't believe some of the shit that they have. So, in any case, um, I... Uh, there's uh, two devices that I use, like I said, and I use them in tandem. The other one's a uh, quadricopter drone, and that quadricopter runs, um, at least the model that I use, it's a $65,000 model, and uh, it, what happens is um, it's got the same viewing modes as the, um, the little, it's hard to call, what do you call it, the jump bot? Um, the jump bot itself does ground recon, and it can slip into varying different areas that the uh, quadricopter can't get into as easily. And uh, because it can carry a little bit more weight with it, it also has a few physical hacking access tools that are available to it. For instance, lock picks and the capability to be able to kick open a door with the jumper. Um, there's a couple other cool things that it can actually that the uh, the little the little device, the uh, ground-based device, can do. But the cool thing about the two working in tandem is, particularly if I'm if I'm trying to get into a facility or something like that, um, I can actually use the uh, the drone, the quadricopter, to um, have a hovering presence and keep on hopping back and forth between them while I'm basically keeping uh, a bird's eye view of an area that I'm actually trying to infiltrate and at the same time hop back to the local drone, the, the ground-based drone, um, as I'm creeping through an area or something like that trying to get material. Now the other cool thing about the, uh, the ground-based drone is it can actually grab materials and it's got a little bit of weight that it can carry with it. So it can grab small things such as um, thumb drives, um, floppy disks if there is any, um, CD-ROMs, um, you know, little things that it, uh, it even could, it could even grab paperwork and everything too. So and it's kind of nice, you know, to have it. But the quadricopter doesn't have quite that flexibility, you know, to be able to do it. But using the two in tandem, you know, I can actually you know, leverage the first-person view and also maintain the identify friend or foe. So any movement that's happening, whether or not that security, police systems, um, gangs that are operating within the areas that I'm actually within, um, any of it. Um, the cool thing is it'll actually paint, not just paint the target, but it actually paints the target through walls. So the camera itself, um, it's a mixed mode. Uh, it's what's known as a mixed mode camera. So it has within it infrared um, night vision, um, a thermal uh, thermal camera, and what it does is it, it merges the three of those along with algorithms that will actually take and paint the target and everything, and once it's been determined that something is a threat, at that point it will actually follow and map that threat through any walls that it can pick up on and everything, and it will reacquire the target um, once it's actually more or less uh, figured out the physical outline and characteristics of that target through whatever walls that it wants to. So anyways, going back to Galilee. Um, Galilee is actually, uh, they've got a, a launch that they just did out of Van, Vandenberg Air Force Base not long ago, and um, they work undercover with SpaceX and everything, and uh, they've got a, a new rocket that they're, that they are literally just run, launching, and it's going to launch a, um, a satellite, um, another satellite, a couple of satellite satellites that uh, 
that are going to be in orbit and this one in particular is going to be over North America so what I ended up doing was um, I used to work uh, systems engineering uh, back way back when 1988 through 1993 over at Orbital and did embedded system programming and everything and uh, I ended up hacking uh, one of the motherboards so I ended up leveraging my dual team hack and uh, ended up leveraging my devices to get into the facility to figure out what motherboard was actually going to go on the next rocket. Um, this took like, quite a bit of recon work and everything to do. And at that point, once I ended up, uh, you know, obtaining and finding that motherboard, I was able to solder on the right, um, we'll put it this way, um, RF slash communication, GPS communication devices slash hacking uh, back door. And at that point, I can actually access that satellite and also the entire network um, through code that's going to be sent throughout all the other satellites and everything once it actually gets into orbit and everything. So I, I say this in a uh, in a past tense just because it's or in a past slash present tense just because it's one of those things that uh, it, it pretty much already is a done deal and everything. It's not going to be any way to be able to trace any of this down or anything like that. And it's, you know, kind of fun. You know, so I'll be able to have full access to all the satellites, uh, all the spy network, networks of satellites, just like uh, what I used to have over with the NSA and everything. Although, um, I'm going to be, it's going to be a little bit of a step up from what I had before. So one thing I've been trying to get access to, um, diligently has been real-time information feed from, you know, for Google Maps and that kind of stuff. So what I've been trying to do is create my own blend of Google Maps. And, um, more or less, uh, I've been working, you know, a little bit of software code and everything when I'm not doing the modifications and playing around with the artificial intelligence within the, uh, the GTA world and manipulating systems like that. Um, I'm also playing around with, uh, with Google Maps, and they've got something called the KML Editor. And um, the problem with uh, Google Maps is it's static. So it's like one perspective, one view only of the world. But the world's ever-changing, not only that, but so are the people within it as well. You know, so if I was actually to target, paint a target, which is what I'll be able to do with the satellite once it goes into orbit, um, I'll be able to paint a target and be able to follow that target anywhere. And uh, I'm not shitting you when I say anywhere, because I'll have the same capabilities that I have on my drones on my drones that I'll have in my uh, that I'll actually have within the. Uh, you know, within the satellite, I'll be able to leverage all the uh, all, all the cameras that they'll be able to have to create my own blended mode view um, coming down from the satellites as well. And it's not just over North America; that's just how I'm getting in. Um, it's it, there's one over Dubai right now, and uh, that I saw the preliminaries of the hack, and I was able to get a visual reference from um, above D, uh, Dubai um, over South Korea. Um, another one over uh, Ireland, um, another one over Delaware, and uh, the other one's um, currently, it's basically halfway in between. It's, I'd say it's over Kansas and everything right now, and uh, the last one's going to be going, and it's going to be, it's a constellation of, what, five if I'm not mistaken, or six. So we got South Korea, we got Dubai, um, and they're all in uh, geosynchronous orbit. So South Korea, um, Dubai, Dublin, um, Delaware, um, Kansas, yeah, so it's six altogether. <laughs>
and most of them have coverage of, of Asia, um, of North America, and uh, basically of Asia, Europe, and North America. And uh, my understanding is you're probably going to be getting some down in uh, South America and Africa um, as time goes on and everything. So it's kind of interesting, you know, so I'll be able to have full access and I'll be able to have my real-time, you know, being able to track anybody that I want to. And I've integrated this functionality within, uh, within Google Maps. And why I mentioned the KML editor is it'll actually do a KML editors, just basically it's a way to... Um, carry positions of something or someone um, and be able to lock it down to a specific date or to be able to map that coordinate on the planet's surface and specifically have a specific date and time that's associated with that position. So for instance, let's say you you know decide to go over to Colorado and then all of a sudden you uh, you go from there to the, the next day you ended up starting a trip over to Washington DC. It takes three days and everything. Well the cool thing is because of the satellites um, that, uh, that I'm you know gonna have uh, well, I mean, right now I've got visual access to. I can actually track you with those visual access, that visual access, um, immediately, um, basically anywhere across the nation and everything. So, you know, but once my satellite goes into orbit, I'll be able to have not just the visual access, but also, you know, the other blended mode cameras and everything. So it'll take at le the very least uh, the night vision. Um, and, and the reason I say night vision is just it's a critical part of day and night, right? You've got to have night vision even in sat from satellites. So night vision, thermal, infrared, and ultraviolet. There's going to be those four. I'm suspecting there's probably some other magnetic, a magnetic mode as well, just to be able to get radiation levels and that kind of stuff and everything. So it's not just a satellite, but it's also scientific recon, um, recon satellites as well. So from there, you know, I can constantly work on the blended mode. I, I like working in two primary modes. One is the visual reference, and the other one's a blended mode. And the blended mode, um, you know, I'd actually, there's a company called FLIR that's out there. It's F-L-I-R. And FLIR makes some awesome, 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 underline awesome, a hundred times, um, basic uh, cameras that uh, of every shape and size and you know to the point that you can actually carry tiny ones on a drone and everything that's actually what i've done um with my drones is i carry uh, several different types of flora cameras on my on my drones and uh, that's i end up taking the feed from these ccds and uh it, you know basically doing an interpretation with the uh the code and at that point uh coming up with a mixed mode image based on the information that i want to gather from the cameras now why the mixed mode's important is um most military based applications and military based uh based visual systems and everything um have one single mode at a time you know so meaning you're switching between infrared and and uh thermal and that kind of stuff in order to basically do recon police uh, police cameras do the same thing too and nowhere out there is is the capability to do the mixed mode, which is, you know, basically taking all these different references all at the same time, you know, and coming up with a composite image based on um, all these different uh, ways to perceive the world. You know, so for instance, um, thermal vision is a pain in the ass. 
you know, if you've ever seen through a thermal vision camera and everything, you know, particularly from a police helicopter or something like that, um, you can lose your target real easy, real easy. So let's say you've got to, you're circling a target and everything, and you're actually trying to, do, you know, chase a suspect or something like that that's going through wooded areas. Well, I mean, unless you've got ground surveillance and everything, you can very quickly and easily lose that person if they um, take an unpredictable path out of that area and everything. So what happens is um, a police uh, a, a chopper will typically switch in between thermal and visual um, references and everything, visual cameras, and also leverage light in order to be able to sense their target and everything. And the problem is, you know, their eyes are constantly adjusting to be able to catch their target. Well. I've resolved that problem, you know, with the stuff I've, d I've done by basically taking and, uh, and taking a thermal target and saying, oh, okay, this one's real easy to acquire information from, you know, and at this point, you know, you see the hot spots of, on a thermal image, you know, as bright as day, you know, it's like red, yellow, uh, the reds are the ones that you actually are picking up for it real quickly, and, you know, the yellows, well, the cool thing is you can actually take this and highlight an image, um, you know, so just a normal image to basically say, okay, you know, we've got the red, which indicates this thing here, you know, has heat activity or something like that. And you can actually put a visual reference in, in this, you know, that uh, that you others otherwise wouldn't have on a normal visual reference. You know, so it's just like looking at the, at the normal world, with the exception of you might actually have a glow around the object and everything, you know, that, uh, that you're actually tracking. And once you paint that target and everything, well, that's a cool thing about uh, the composite. It allows you to actually track that target, and it leverages predictive algorithms in order to be able to track that target. You know, so what I'm talking about is, um, you know, let's, I, I saw a car chase um, not long ago of a, um, of a vehicle that ended up going into the woods over in North Carolina, and uh, this guy, they ended up tracking around for three, it was like 30 minutes, you know, and uh, he ends up going into this really, really, really wooded area, and uh, he ended up going down and just found some back streets, there were dirt roads and everything. <laughs> And uh, he ends up um, having a police on this wild goose chase going through this area where, you know, they there was probably about a dozen police cars that were after him, in addition to a chopper. And uh, they ended up, um, if, if anything, they had a, a television chopper around him, too. And it was in broad daylight, you know, so even, th even then, thermal vision is hard, is even harder to use. Just because, you know, I mean, at that point you're switching between day vision and, and thermal vision. You know, you're trying to actually gather something with your eyes. So thermal vision is really kind of uh, only good at night. And even then, it, uh, it can be a little bit difficult for things that actually go out of view and everything. So anyways, um, they ended up, uh, you know, the guy ended up going into this wooded area behind some houses and everything. And he ended up uh, running on foot towards this train track ran down the train track for a while, and they didn't know where he went, and they had lost track of him altogether, and uh, at this point, he ends up going into the housing complex, and they ended up losing the guy, and uh, my bet is he hopped through quite a few yards and everything to actually go through there. Well, I mean, with my composite, it can make it really easy to basically do a, um, you know, you could do a temperature map. 
you know, so you could very quickly and easily, you know, gather a thermal thermal view of an area, you know, um, leveraging a predictive algorithm that can actually say, hey, this guy's probably going to go in this direction and everything, um, you know, based on what he's been doing so far. And also um, leveraging uh, both infrared and also uh, an ultraviolet in order to uh, to see if you can actually see the see the, uh, the you know see his footsteps where he left it and everything too, you know that combined with the visual you can actually paint yourself a pretty accurate picture of of not only where the guy is going but uh, where the guy may likely the direction he may continue heading. Now, in this case, it, there's no guarantee, you know, no 100% guarantee that could have caught that guy, you know, even with this technology and everything over in North Carolina, but, you know, my bet is it probably would have been a lot of, uh, it probably would have worked out a lot better than uh, what they did, because, I mean, they didn't let leverage thermal out in this case and everything, and I think this would have saved them, you know, thermal is just typically used at nighttime and everything, and even then I've seen them lose suspects and everything at night. And uh, it just comes down to their when they're swapping back and forth between thermal night vision and uh, and you know just highlighted vision with uh, with you know with the flashlights and everything you know the the spotlights and everything it's just it's it's a bitch to find them so anyways um I was just going through and uh, the big thing I was doing at first was reconnaissance over at Galilee and the uh, second thing I ended up doing was just uh, going through and uh, making modifications to the primary motherboard that was handling handling the guidance and navigation systems and also the uh, modifications to the onboard uh, the satellite um, so the reason for the uh, modifications to the guidance and navigation control systems was um, just basically to uh, to see um, more or less to spy on what they're doing. You know, so I just wanted to understand you know what they're doing for guidance and navigation systems and not only that, but from a uh, I'm interested from a clocking perspective. Um, how they're actually going to manage things, or some things from a, a theoretical physics perspective, I don't fully understand, and that's, uh, you know, I'm hoping to actually leverage some of the data I gather from from their flight um, that uh, they may they they will be able to obtain, um, but they didn't seem to have the mechanisms on board the motherboard in order to be able to achieve this. So more or less, what I'm interested in is. Um, the linear versus the nonlinear nature of time and how it applies to theoretical physics, particularly when an object actually goes off into space and everything. So I had to actually go through, um, I'm doing a temporal, a, a temporal distortion. So basically, um, I'm able to rewind time. Um, every time that the mission fails. Now I'm leading some character, um, some guy, um, his name's Marcus, and uh, commanding him in basically robotic fashion. Ro robotic fashion. He, when he wakes up, he doesn't know who he is, um, or he doesn't know that he's done this, and it's basically, it's it's the way my world works. You know, sometimes I leverage people as avatars, and, uh, you know, I ended up um, having him run this mission, and he doesn't know um, in his conscious life that he's actually a member of this uh, hacking group called DeadSec, and uh, in his subconscious life, you know, I'm actually leading him on a series of 
of things like this to understand um, life from a very different perspective and all of that, but this gives, gives me an awesome opportunity to understand satellites and communication systems and how they function and everything and, and do it in a safe way that uh, nobody's really ever going to be able to catch me. You know, so this is actually what, what I consider to be a real hacker is. You know, I can talk publicly about this, I can explain what I'm doing, and, uh, you know, most people are going to sit there and say, yeah, you're smoking crack, or, you know, you're, uh, you're, <laughs> you're playing a game, and I've just been like, yeah, you're damned right I am, you know, to you, you know, to me, <laughs> I, I just commanded a guy that uh, is going to be able to acquire, you know, a, a great deal of information about this world and everything for me. And not only that, but I also ended up finally getting my back door, you know, into the damn satellite network to be able to get the real-time information so I can gather information on anybody I want to um, on a real-time basis. Not only that, I could track people on a real-time basis. So why I had mentioned the thing about the camel editor is uh, nobody that I know of is actually doing real-time analysis and tracking of people. Um, and actually being able to uh, plot those points on a map. So, what I'm interested in doing is, let's say you do take that trip across the country and everything, um, I'll be able to, through my tracking mechanisms, in a relatively small file, maintain a complete um, overview of not just where you were, but when you were there. And, uh, and not only that, but also be able to have um, backup redundant information based on, uh, on, G on, on any number of other devices too. You know, so let's say you, know, you learn that I'm actually doing this. Well, you know, there's very easy ways for somebody to hand their phone to somebody else. You know, assuming, of course, that the, all this tracking is actually going on through a phone. You know, and hand that phone to somebody else and, you know, and at this point, or, you know, have, and then hand the keys to the car to somebody else. You know, and one person goes one way and one person goes the other way. Well, I mean, I've got facial tracking, you know, so, uh, sure, you have the capability to wear a mask, you know, and somebody else could wear a new mask as well. You know, I mean, there's always ways to defeat the system, but the question is, you know, um, how paranoid are you, you know, to begin with about being followed, you know, and also, um, you know, since you're listening to this, you're going to be assuming that it's all fiction, and, um, you know, the way I look at it is, it's just like, hey, you know, this is the stuff that's going on, this is real business and everything. You know, me, I'm just doing it for research analysis purposes, you know, when it comes down to it. This doesn't cost me shit for money. You know, it basically, it, uh, you know, somebody else ends up, you know, co this is, this costs them money. But what it does do for me is it gets me, you know, information about anybody I want to. And it, it logs it into a camel file. You know, so the, here's the cool thing about it. Not only do I have real-time access to anybody I want to track for as long as I want to, you know, so let's say I track you for a couple years, and I want to know what you do on a daily basis, you know, where you are, what you do, where you go. Um, let's just say I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you do on the days? You know, um, what, what shops do you go to? You know, um, how much money do you spend there? You know, what do you spend it on? You know, um, not just that, you know, but also, you know, little things such as, let's say you're successful with women, 
you know, um, there would have been a time in my life I would have wanted to have actually known how that how that was possible, what you did and everything that was different than what I did. Anymore, I don't care. Now I just want the information just for the sake of actually broadening my life, you know, um, creating more stories, you know, um, potentially just going out there and having the power. You know, I, I once had a woman uh, tell me over in, um, what was it, Laughlin, you know, it's just like, with you talking to me for some reason, it feels like I just want to tell you everything, you know, and uh, I ended up um, almost getting getting her husband and I, you know, to go to bed uh, with the threesome with her and everything. She was like like a gorgeous newlywed that, you know, she at first said my husband's kind of possessive, but it, he'll probably go for it. I got a kick out of it. You know, but here's the thing. If information can create um, physical power, you know, when it comes down to money and, you know, people with that, I've also of the belief that it can also create intellectual power, too. So, for me, um, I'm not, it's not that I'm nosy. You know, it's just that, uh, let's say there's people I'm just kind of curious about their lives. You know, where they go. You know, old friends and that kind of stuff. You know, it's just like, it's not that I'm trying to be Big Brother. It's like Tommy Lee Jones, you know, when he, in Men in Black, when he looks down on, you know, his, his ex-wife, um, that doesn't remember him anymore. You know, um, her memory has been erased of the 17 years that they were together. You know, not only that, but, uh, you know, he still loves her absolutely loves her, you know, so, for me, it's kind of the same thing, I've got a lot of friends that have meant a lot to me in my life and everything, now, I don't want to follow them around for any other reason other than I care about them, and if I see them go through some shit or something like that, I've got the power with the, with these, you know, the things that I'm building here, to be able to change and influence their life and be able to potentially add things to it, you know, that, um, add my little contribution to their life that, uh, maybe makes their life a little bit better. I don't know, you know, for instance, is, you know, let's say they're, they've had a bad day, you know, I know this. You know, just because I may have been watching them that day. Boom. I've given them all green lights on the way home. You know, um... They end up, you know, fucking up their finances and everything. And they're... They've got a mortgage payment and everything that they can't make or something like that. Yeah, I can give a, you know, have a mortgage payment and give an error in their favor. Just like Monopoly and that kind of stuff. You know, that's, you know, or they go to the ATM and they're brokered and broke. And for some reason, the ATM spits out $200 extra. For no reason. You know, so, I mean, there's things, little things I can do like this, you know, to potentially help make their lives a little bit better. You know, um, maybe serendipitously have somebody they care about or something like that. Just happen to be on the same plane with them. All I have to do is just basically change the uh, 
change the flight information and everything and potentially steer one towards the other one, you know, and I can put some ads on, you know, stimulating them to take the same, you know, same trip to the same location and, you know, for them it feels like absolute co coincidence and for me it's just basically manipulation of information. It's not to be mean, it's just because of the fact that I care about my friends, you know, about the people that I love. You know, I've got a long list of people like that, too. You know, it's... It's like... I don't know. You know, it's hard to explain. So, the KML editor, to me, um, allows me, you know, the opportunity to basically put, put tracker, tracking on some of my... some of these people that I've known. You know, David, yeah, you're probably going to be one. Um, other ones are going to be, you know, people like, you know, Bill and Jackie and Rachel and, you know, Jeff, Kleinman and Ron, you know, all put trackers on you and it's not to be mean, it's just basically saying, hey, you know, you go anywhere. It's not that I'm going to, I'm looking for trouble. I'm just wanting to know your daily patterns and that kind of stuff and, and when, you know, I do decide, you know, to do something you know, for whatever reason I do to influence your life in, in some kind of way, it will be consistent with what you do. I'm going to make sure that uh, it doesn't cause, I mean, that's my biggest goal, is I don't want to cause you harm. I want to try to help. And it will be help from my perspective and everything. You know, I mean, it will be something that hopefully just makes you think just a little bit more. So the cool thing about the KML editor is just basically it's a list of longitude and latitudes uh, combined with a, a timestamp that's associated to it. And then that can't, you know, it's a, if I'm not mistaken, it's every five seconds that a sample's taken. It might not be that frequently, but I think it is. And um, it might be as low as one second for the granularity. Um, I can't remember what the uh, synchronization is for uh, for GPS uh, timing and everything. I'm pretty sure. Hold on a second. I can check real quick. GPS time synchronization. How frequent? Uh, one nanosecond. Jesus. No, I don't need that kind of accuracy though. itself isn't a clock or crystal and a counter on the counter. How often, let's put this, how often does a GPS update and there's a CFR for it. Interesting. Oh, done. How often does a GPS 
interface-based device. Frequently, come up with a better word. GPS tracking, here we go. Okay. Oh, interesting. Custom rules for this employee. So they already have GPS tracking on employees. Can my employees see other GPS's points? Huh. T-sheets. Update my location. Okay, here we go. This is for the iPhone. Oh. So it's passive. Interesting. I think that's so basically location's gonna have to be balanced. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So anyways, um so the goal here is to basically have indoor and outdoor tracking for people. So if you're in a thirty story building or a hundred story building um, I'm going to know what story that you're on in that building. I'll be able to have completely out of that building, too, accessing local maps. Um, every, um, every single uh, map for every building um, goes through inspection and goes through uh, code, with the exception of China. And that will actually be housed with the local... Um, It's both the assessor's office and also the um, records. So for every different location, everything, whether or not you're Phoenix or Seattle or San Francisco, I'll be able to have a real-time access to that map. So when somebody goes into some building or something like that, I can actually zoom into their location and I can get a complete overview of that location. Basically, it's at the very least in a wireframe mode. And... Uh, that's, in a lot of cases, how this all works, too, with leveraging the, uh, the quadcopter and also the, um, the two-wheel device and everything. Now, like I said, both of them have, um, you know, have the mixed-mode camera, and that mixed-mode camera has the capability to be able to see through walls um, in a, a leveraging both the blueprint um, aspect of things superimposed you know, this is particularly if they're within a facility or something like that, superimposed with the uh, the real 
you know, the real-time thermal, along with the uh, identify friend or foe, um, along with the um, IFF sounds so ancient. I think we need to give it a new name. Identify potential combatant. That's actually IPC. I like that better. Identify. So it's going to be identified. So it's like a slash IED. Identified potential combatant. And that combatant can be in a vehicle. Could be a vehicle. So with that... Um, Now here's also what I uh, what I need to implement in the uh, quadcopter is the ability to be able to um, to um, orbit around a given point. So that needs to be implemented, as does the uh, the ability to be able to um, to stay to automatically stay out of range of uh, of identified potential combatants. So the second that somebody recognizes it, sees it. It would be nice if there was a retreat, uh, automatic retreat function, particularly for the uh, quadcopter. <coughs> so that's one thing I've got to implement too. Now, <coughs> the other thing is uh, when it comes down to the following mode, um, we could put uh, different uh, different measures in for the granularity um, of the camel. So we could have it um, update on a you know, completely passive basis. So basically every time a request is made from the phone, it can actually update the camel from there. Um, and when I say camel, I'm referring to the Google Maps, uh, the KML for that. Um, so that can be on a passive basis. Um, it could be on an active basis. So where basically I'm leveraging real-time tracking information on a regular basis and everything from one of the six geoposition satellites combined with commercial satellites to basically track the individual um, at all times on a real-time basis so there isn't any latency with this whatsoever and uh, the phone merely cross-references and verifies the location you know along with facial tracking um, based on the ground level cameras um, along with uh, any kind of any kind of sensing devices whatsoever so we're also using um, acoustical uh, devices so most uh, most recording devices now have the capability to be able to sense the position of something uh, within the range and everything based on echoes of, in a room and everything and can actually spatially position you know spatially determine the position of something uh, even leveraging a single monophone uh, mono, mono uh, microphone now it is easier, yes, absolutely. Leveraging a, uh, they call it a, uh, what's the name of that thing? It's like lidar. It's um, this is gonna kill me. Four microphones interspersed, interspersed. Oh, phased array. So they've got a phased array system. So then they've got uh, something, you know, something called a phased array, which is actually good for um, magnet, magnetic type devices and everything. But they've also got a phased array equivalent of a microphone array. 
that can actually, in a much better way, uh, determine positioning for objects and actually, here's the cool thing, it can actually draw a complete room leveraging ambient sound. So that's something that's only been able, been capable since 2008, the uh, phased array, and uh, guess where this came from? This is interesting technology. Um, this technology came directly from uh, the Xbox and hackers, uh, leveraging the uh, Kinect device. So I actually worked on the uh, Kinect device a while ago, and uh, did some uh, hacking with that. And I've I've still got a Kinect device just because it's a, it's got some really interesting modes in it. It's got an infrared. Um, it's also got a um, a projection-based mode that. Uh, that I've found information for in the device uh, device drivers that they have, but I've yet to actually activate it, so I haven't been able to activate that projection mode. I know it can be done, um, but uh, but the phased array microphone combined with infrared and uh, visual cameras, um, and also night vision too, uh, allows for really, really, really powerful capabilities for the Kinect device. And uh, there's been some interesting capabilities that people have actually leveraged this for. So, that's, uh, but, the but the phased array microphone um, is really interesting because people have actually leveraged it to try to come up with different ways to actually paint a room. Um, and when I say paint, I mean, you know, being able to interpret something audially, um, audio wise and actually paint a visual picture based on the audio information alone. Now this is also known as echolocation and uh, bats can do it, a lot of humans have been known to be able to do it. And it's not a phenomenon, it's just basically it's how a lot of people work and everything. So, but uh, it's, it's a creative way for programmers to be able to take a device, reverse engineer it, and uh, come up with some interesting new capabilities for it. Now, there's uh, some drivers that are, uh, that are out there. Open, OpenNI is one of them um, that's available for the Xbox uh, that's, that can actually connect the device, uh, one of the older devices, I might add. Uh, to directly to a PC, and you can actually interact with that uh, the Xbox device through that PC and everything, and leverage leverage the same interactions and everything, the same device drivers, so you can play with it yourself, which I have done. Now, the thing about the Xbox uh, device is it's actually it's got a range up and down that you can move it and everything, and if you just strip away, you know, some of the uh, some of the other capabilities on it, you can really have yourself a pretty powerful um, three-dimensional scanning device that can actually completely scan a room in on a relatively small device and everything. So that's the power of that device. And if you can actually miniaturize that a little bit further, um, you can actually pop that on a drone and uh, and get incredible imagery for an interior that has not been mapped and also has not been uh, had any things put into records or into um, into the assessment office.
And it's a common problem, you know, for countries outside the United States. So, in particular, if you're military trying to go into facilities and buildings over in Iraq or Afghanistan or anything like that where there's no building code, you know, um, it's true for a lot of Central America, um, a lot of China and that kind of stuff. You know, you have no capability whatsoever to do reconnaissance on, on the interior, you know, without actually putting in a hefty device and everything, or without actually, you know, putting military personnel out there. Well, that's a cool thing about the Xbox Connect device, is it allows you the capability to be able to do recon and do it real cheap, actually. And, uh, and not only that, but completely map an interior on a real-time basis, you know, in a three-dimensional way. So, you send in one of these devices loaded up on a, on a drone, you know, a mobile drone and everything. I mean, these mobile drones, they can carry 35 pounds, you know, so some so of the heavier ones and everything. You send it on, uh, on something like that, and, you know, well, the only thing that you, you know, the only real threat that you have to life and limb is somebody shooting the thing out and everything. Well, put yourself a little bulletproof uh, package around it and, you know, put the little retreat, um, the auto-retreat functionality in it, and the moment that it's actually threatened and everything, you know, have it scoot away at 35, you know, 35 miles per hour to, you know, to the person that actually sent it out there. So... In any case, um, makes it kind of fun and everything. So, the quadcopter. Um, the quadcopter is... Uh, one of the things about the quadcopter, I've been trying to come up with ways to to make a, a tiny version of a quadcopter. And I'm not talking about tiny as in tiny. I saw one today that, uh, that goes... It's relatively inexpensive, 60 bucks. Um, down to $60. The model I saw, I think, was $150. And it was a 3-inch quadcopter that can actually go... It was clocked at 90 miles per hour. High-speed, real-time, first-person view perspective and everything on this thing. And it had the capability to be able to go at incredible speeds and everything. Well, I was actually thinking, you know, hey, if you can actually leverage something like this, you know, outfit it with a, you know, the, a couple of the FLIR cameras. And the FLIR cameras, they weigh, you know, um, the smaller ones, they weigh, I mean, I mean, they're expensive, you know, $1,500, you know, for the more expensive ones and everything. But they literally weigh, you know, two ounces, less than that, you know, an ounce, two ounce, you know, for each one. So you put a couple of these cameras on, you can get yourself, you know, you can create yourself a mixed mode system and everything, and uh, leverage the, um, oh, what is it, the Raspberry Pi or something like that, and, you know, be able to have your, your camera go and uh, actually chase, get this, you can chase cars going down the road and everything, leveraging a three-inch, a three-inch cam, a three-inch quadcopter. I mean, that's the cool thing about this. You know, so, you can actually, or, here's here's an even better part, too, you know, you can actually load it up with a microphone, you know, and get one of those distance microphones and basically circle over somebody's house, you know, and they ain't gonna know that there's a quadcopter, you know, I mean, they might hear the sound and just sit there and you're gonna dismiss it, 
you know, but chances are, if you can actually have some noise abatement devices on this thing, too, you could actually make this thing almost nearly silent, you know, and have it sitting outside the house, and that you're monitoring everything. But anyways, I've been trying to think of a device that uh, can actually be packaged in a fly. So, I, uh, I started looking at, um, uh, I mean, I'm having a problem right now. Um, this is actually, you know, when it comes down to real-world physical money and everything, um, I've got a severe restriction on finances. And uh, I've been trying to think of ways that I can actually create nano devices. You know, so basically, specifically devices that uh, I can fly from my computer and I can that have an extended range on it. You know, but how? You know, that's the problem. Well, I mean, you pay attention to natural mechanisms, you know, and how... I mean, I know that, uh, <laughs> well, we'll put it this way. I know that a certain agency was doing, um, work on actually a, a head-mounted device for flies. So I'm talking about actually literally commanding flies and putting a tiny little camera on flies and manipulating flies to fly around to be the re reconnaissance devices and everything. Well, there is a problem with that one. I won't get into what the problem was with that, but it really kind of fucked things up for a while for them. But uh, I actually want to make a, a small robot, you know, version of the same thing. You know, I don't want to leverage nature's fly. I want to, I want to create my own fly. You know, something that's actually as tiny as a fly, and I can actually fly that thing into vents and be able to, you know, take this thing to wherever I want to and everything, and be able to, you know, I could have the capability to fly into literally anywhere and literally be a fly on the wall. I can actually monitor, watch somebody, you know, from a distance and, you know, get these out production-wise where I can put a couple of them in place and just monitor anything from any perspective and, you know, somebody kills a fly, usually they're not going to be paying attention to it. You know, it's like, hey, kill the fucking fly. You're not going to see all the little springs and all this other little shit because it's going to be too, too small for the normal eye to see. So, in any case... That's actually what I'm interested in trying to figure out is, you know, who, who does nanoscale machinery? You know, machinery that's sm so small and everything that I can actually create, you know, and how, how do I work on that, on those kind of devices myself, too? So I'm looking up nanoscale machinery. And then you got all these companies out there that are, I mean, I, I'm going to go so far to say they're full of shit. I mean, it's some really cool stuff and everything, you know, but... I love it when they come up with pictures talking about glorified processes that, you know... But really, when it comes down to it, it's just basically smoke and mirrors. That's what a lot of the world is, unfortunately. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. So, in any case, um, the quadcopter thing, the one that I'm using right now, it's it's a five-inch deal, and uh, 
so I say five inches and it's five inches long the uh, blades extend out in a 45 degree angle from each corner and it it has a top speed of probably about 60 miles an hour in a turbo mode and uh, it's it is pretty quiet so it has the uh, it has some noise suppression devices on it that can actually make it so I can fly it indoors and be basically two stories above you and you won't hear it um, it, you will hear it when it gets closer for sure, but you'll dismiss it as uh, ambient noise and everything if you're not looking for it and everything. You know, and if the room has a decent amount of noise level, if it's completely silent, yeah, chances are you'll probably hear it. So that's the problem I have with it right now. You know, it's just that uh, my primary device, you know, for being able to monitor. Um, the process of emission and everything just basically is something that uh, it is easy to spot and it's uh, <laughs> there isn't any amount of, of camo that you can use for something like this um, when you're interested in creating visibility for you of the subjects plural you know subject or subjects that you're actually you know trying to focus on and everything so that's kind of the problem is you know and it comes down to nanoscale machines you know this for me is a solution you know is basically miniaturizing things to such a degree to basically make it look like the devices that are actually doing the monitoring and everything are part of um the surrounding environment and everything you know and it comes down to you know i fly on a wall you know that's you're not going to be paying attention to that. So my problem right now is I'm actually forced to really pay attention to positioning and also um, visibility range. So, and this is actually where hacking the cell phone has been absolutely wonderful for me. So what I'll do is, um, particularly if I get into a guarded area or something like that, I'll I'll actually trigger off a cell phone call. You know, or cell phone message or something like that to one of the uh, to the security guard that may have visibility range and everything. And at that point, um, it'll make them look at their phone. And at that point, that's when I zip to a position that has visibility of the area, um, can target them, paint them as a target and everything, so I can monitor their position through the wall or through whatever thing that I put in between me and them. Typically, there's, you know, particularly for some of the buildings that I'm in and everything, it's there's some girders or something like that I can hide behind and everything. Or there's a lot of uh, a lot of buildings that actually have have exposed roofs and uh, or nooks and crannies that you can use and everything. And um, you know, from there, just basically hide in that location, maybe even set it down to to cause the uh, you know the blades to uh, quit whirring and everything, and also conserve battery life. And from there, um, allow me to actually progress in with the uh, ground-based drone, and to do uh, do whatever it is that I'm doing from there. And then when I get done with the mission, I mean, I could always move the thing around, slightly lift it a little bit, and then turn it, you know, just basically to keep a good eye on the location I'm at and everything, you know. But the problem is, you know, particularly for places that are extremely well guarded, um, are basically multiple methods of uh, discovery of me. You know, so you, you don't have just, um, you've got other other bots that can actually notice me in my location and everything. 
Um, that's one, that's an increasing problem that I'm having. Um, cameras are pretty easy to temporarily shut down and everything, so that'll get me in through the cameras, and that's, that's actually a passive thing that's already going on. What happens is whenever I fly by a camera, it'll automatically distort the image and everything, create, create a little glitch, so that way anytime I'm, I'm in view of the camera, it'll start glitching out that camera and everything. So I make it a fact not to linger around cameras and that kind of stuff, just, you know, because that'll actually give rise to a little questioning everything by anybody that's actually doing monitoring. Now, with digital monitoring equipment, that's a little bit um, harder to do um, and get away with it, too. So, and actually, I've been making it a fact to actually uh, <clears throat> avoid the cameras for the most part or just flip them off altogether. Or the other thing I've also done is I've, I've created still images. So it's really easy to actually hijack a, uh, a digital camera. Um, that's actually focused on a, a specific area and everything, and um, either replay the the whole range of motion that actually is uh, targeting and everything, replay it on a loop and everything, and uh, just just for the time that I'm going to be passing through, or if it's just basically focused on a single area or something like that, um, just basically putting a still image and everything, and. Uh, taking that still image and putting that in place and everything while that person, while, you know, while my equipment's going through and everything, so that way I can actually get in and out of the facility without being detected. Now, the big problem that I have with that is date and time stamps that are actually coming through. So that, that just has made it necessary for me to be fully aware of all the different equipment that are going out there to make sure that I match the date and time stamp exactly and everything. So we're, you know, if I'm putting a backdated, you know, something that was coming from, you know, maybe 15 minutes before I pass through or maybe five minutes before I pass through, um, you know, I've got to make sure I don't leverage the same time and date stamp from five minutes ago just because somebody that's actually paying attention will notice it. And I had had that happen before. I was being lazy and had people that were noticing the date, date and timestamp glitching and it's just like, what the hell's going on here? And at that point, boom, they'd go and investigate and a lot of times get me in trouble and everything. So I stopped doing that and actually uh, ended up having to learn about pretty much every fucking model of a camera that was out there and everything just to make sure that... Uh, that my update, you know, and my hacks were seamless with the information that was coming to their screen and everything, particularly when I ended up blanking out and making sure, I mean, I could actually physically walk in front of the cameras, you know, and be a complete ghost, not even be seen by the camera and everything as I walk through. So, in any case, that's, that's kind of what, you know, the state of hacking and where that's out right now. Um, but uh, the problem, like I said, is physical detection by the people that are actually um, being under under observation and everything. You know, it's um it's hard for a person, let alone a drone, uh, to get in and to to set yourself in a certain position or something like that try to to try to obtain information or to get close enough in range to be able to hack the devices that you're actually, you know, trying to hack and everything. In particular, trying to actually access, in a, in the, a physical case, some devices. And some devices absolutely require physical access to, you know, whether or not that's a, an offline hard drive or it's a thumb drive or something like that and that's not been plugged in. It's just like, eh. you know, you got to send in a device and everything to be able to, rec to re be able to recover that information. So... Um, 
you know, just basically keeping an eye on the entire scene has been the toughest thing. So that's where the satellites come in. That's a part of the satellite reconnaissance is, is long-term surveillance and also being able to actually study and, and map where somebody's going on a regular basis. That way, anything that's done with them, the surveillance is actually done on a real-time basis and everything. And, uh, and also anything that, uh, that I happen to do you know, with them appears consistent with their own world and everything, their own world view. You know, so last thing I want to do is freak anybody the fuck out because of, you know, manipulating their world. I mean, I've had enough people pointing a finger at me in the past saying, I'm a bad man because of doing what I thought was the right thing. You know, so I, I knew I had to become more aware of the way that I was treating people, not only that, but the way that people perceive the world. So that's one part of it. The other part is just simply having having an eye there. You know, and uh, the only solution I've been able, been able to come up with so far is basically uh, massively small devices and everything. You know, um, thought of a mosquito. I actually had an idea for a mosquito, a mosquito-based device, but I'll put it this way. I'm more apt to smash a mosquito than I am a fly, and... And flies can be a little bit more transparent, and mosquitoes are so fucking obnoxious. It's just like, I think, I don't think I'm that much different than most people, and we'll hunt them down. You know, it's like a fucking cricket. Even worse. So, having a mosquito, nah, that, that just doesn't do. A fly, a fly is known to be a pest, to be in your face on occasion, that kind of stuff. And so for me... The fly seems like it's the fitting reconnaissance device. But, how? I can't even toy with this technology. I don't have the money for it. Not only that, but there's no companies that, uh, that appear to be doing this kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there. But... When it comes down to it, there's nobody that uh, that understands the super small. I'm not, and here's the thing, you know, I'm not talking about submolecular. I mean, I've already got command of digital systems and everything. You know, I'm just in need of something that's, you know, larger than <laughs> that's com compiled through the leveraging of molecular-based equipment, you know, maybe not even that small, of, of equipment the size of hairs, you know, gears that might be the size of a hair or something like that. How? How do you do that? You know, how do you build a device, you know, a robot the size of a fly that's efficient, that can fly in a rapid, predictable fashion and everything? And that's reliable, and maintain its power supply on board as well, even if it is capacitance-type type power supply. That's kind of the problem. How? How do you do that? You know, how does somebody like me acquire that kind of equipment and everything? I mean, before I could have, but I probably couldn't have afforded it then. And I'm looking through all my supply trains, and I'm seeing absolutely nothing out there. Nothing. So... I did a specific search <laughs> for 
Um, artificial fly wings. Artificial fly wings. I'll do it again on Bing. Use our artificial wings for human uh, possible. You know, and this is actually that, that what people are coming up with. They're talking about making big, huge fly wings for people to fly with. No, I'm interested in creating it for robots. Creating a tiny fucking robot. But it's kind of funny. Um, quite a few years ago, I found uh, a supply chain uh, company that was building um, muscles. Um, they actually had a uh, material that, if you applied a an electric charge to it, it can actually uh, be stimulated much the same way a muscle, a human muscle, was. So it was a. Uh, developer, um, an engineer that had worked over in Los Alamos, and I don't know if he was, you know, if what he was doing and everything was on the legit and everything, but I ended up uh, purchasing some of the material from him, and I had planned on making a spider robot. Uh, so, I had, I had the schematics labeled for basically something that walked on eight legs um, that had the capability to upright itself and uh, it wasn't nanoscale it was more or less a a three-inch robot and they had battle of the bots and uh, I thought hey how cool would a a spider bot something that was basically you know if I was gonna do the battle of the bots it would definitely be bigger you know we're talking about something that would probably be oh um, three-inch segments, so probably quite a few seg segments, maybe six to eight segments altogether for each leg, and uh, capability to be able to move those segments um, individually through the use of uh, electric muscles and everything, you know, and no real moving parts other than the muscles on its leg. <laughs> And in order to go in for the kill shot, it just simply embraces and pierces, you know, whatever it is that it's, uh, that it's actually attacking and everything. Well, then I saw some of the, the anvils and the ones that have super spinning things, and that would tear the fuck out of legs like that. So, kind of sucked that idea and everything once I really started considering it. But I bought three inches of the material, and uh, it worked really well. Basically, you, pr you do an electric charge to it, and based on the, the strength of the electric charge, um, it can actually contract, and it contracted a full, you know, full time, a half a time, so half its width. So when I applied electric charge, this three inch by so maybe half an inch um, would contract to about an inch in diameter and uh, about an inch and a half wide. So it, uh, it contracted pretty well and everything. But uh, it's actually what I'm trying to figure out is, you know, I mean, I could probably use some more, more of that kind of material and everything, but to actually make a nano, I mean, I, my eyes aren't that good to see the the smaller stuff anyways, you know, so first off, my eyes would have to get better, I'd have to get magnifying glasses, but I just have no fucking patience for this kind of stuff whatsoever. I mean, I could do the, uh, the computing stuff and everything, but that would be so cool, is to build a, a little camera, you know, an audio device and everything compiled inside of a fly, that can quite literally be a fly on the wall for any place that I wanted to send it to. You know, I actually, I had imagined this a long time ago, too. It was back in 2011. 
and um, I thought, you know, when I ended up discovering the uh, the art of the artificial artificially implanted flies that uh, there were real flies that had this cranial type thing that that had been done to it. It was like Frankenstein's monster. The flies were, for all intents and purposes, dead, but they were still their bodies were being commanded, and it was just it was bizarre. But in any case. That's what gave me the idea. It's like, hey, that's a decent idea, but why not make them entirely mechanical? I mean, sure, it might seem like a lot of work, but it could also be a, a little bit more long-term maintainable. And not only that, but the amount of fixtures that you could apply to it are pretty cool. You know, pretty nifty. You could do quite a lot of shit with that. So, in any case, um... I never really was able to do it. So, in any case, that's the last piece of piece of technology I really do need. You know, something that can actually help me infiltrate an area, maybe help me map the area in discrete fashion without anybody's awareness. Right now, it's too involved, you know, for me to be into it. It's too difficult. <laughs> but every house has its little nook and cranny and little, you know, place in and out, whether or not that's an air conditioning vent or, you know, a, a duct that leads to the outside or something like that. And ultimately, or a door just being opened at the right time, and boom, a fly flies in. One fly can map an entire house. Just give it a little time. That's what I think. And do it in such a way that it's absolutely discreet. And not only that, but also stay fixed in one certain point, too. But it just comes down to power supply. How? How do you ma maintain that kind of power supply for an extended period of time? I mean, you can go dormant. That would certainly be one way. Dormant mode. Ugh. Another one is... <sighs> Maybe finding power supply. Water. Something like that. Anyways, I'm always receptive to ideas, but uh, yeah, there you go. Now you know about my technology. A little bit of it anyways. Oh, as far as the um, the avatar business is concerned and everything, um, yes, my avatar dies several times. <laughs> Hundreds of times, thousands of times. I'll jump the avatar off of a building. Um, and if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, um, I figured out a system on how to actually have somebody's consciousness be rerouted through a cell phone. And uh, they, they could be um, literally right next to the location that they're at. So typically, um, their memories, they have absolutely no memories of them, of them dying, ever. Ever. Uh, those memories are, you know, I see it. 
they don't see it. You know, so let's say I'm on a 20-story building, and I, in a lot of cases, I'll just literally jump off the building because it's faster to, in some cases, jump off that building, um, back up time a little bit, resurrect that that uh, my avatar through the phone, and boom, you know, my avatar is off on his merry way and everything. Um, no one around has, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the, the avatar is still alive and everything. In this case, Marcus. Now, I, I have made it a fact not to maintain separate DNA uh, strands. Um, I used to refer to them as saved versions of my, of my character's progress of my avatar's progress, um, just because of I've seen some of the problems that's actually created with reality and I don't need that anymore. So I try to make sure that I maintain one single DNA strand for every character that I play. Every, I'm gonna keep, quit, I've got, I've got to work to use both these words simultaneously. Not only every character I play, but every avatar. I actually take control of. So, in any case, um, the conscious decisions of this avatar um, could very well be to do everything I'm tell him, telling him to do. The outside stimulus from his environment and everything will be absolutely consistent. And there may come a point where the avatar actually decides, you know, he's going to take a different path and do something different than what I command him to do. That's okay. You do the same thing. I do the same thing. You know, we could all be commanded. You know, could have a hacker that thinks that they're commanding me, you know, to give you this recollection of my experiences and everything. You could have an avatar leading your life and basically trying to play a game in which the primary motivation of it is to make money. You can be, you know, a character of somebody playing Monopoly. You know, um, there's so many different possibilities. That's why I just quit looking as, you know, what I do is bad or good or anything like that. Just like different perspectives. It's contributing different stories and different ideas to my life and everything. And you know, the things I choose in these worlds, you know, on behalf of the avatar and, and uh, in consistency with this avatar, contribute to my life. It helps expand the possibilities. It, it certainly introduces new perspectives that I'd never considered before and everything. You know, I'd never thought that I'd actually have command of a series of six different satellites, and I do now. So, Will I ever meet Marcus? I don't know. Interesting concept to, you know, to consider. How would he react? Would he take issue with it? Would I take issue with uh, understanding somebody's done this to me in my life to lead me up to this point? It's hard to say. In any case, would you?